Hello to everybody who parties. It's beautiful, anonymous. One hour, one phone call, no names, no holds barred. I'd rather go one on one. I think it'll be more fun, and I'll get to know you, and you'll get to know me. Hi, everybody. Chris Gethard here. If you like a long intro, we got a good one for you, where I talk a bunch about my new job and some ways you can help Beautiful Anonymous and our new bonus content that I should be able to announce any day now. Um, if you're just in it for the phone call, you want to skip about 18 minutes ahead. And that'll put you very close to the start of the phone call. Um, and thanks so much for tuning in, whether you're uh, an enjoyer of the intros or not. Hi, everybody. Chris Gethard here. Welcome to another episode of Beautiful Anonymous. I feel so lucky to be here, to be hosting this show to be bringing you more conversations, to be bringing you honest human discourse. And I feel like we're in this great era of the show. I was just saying to Andrea, in our independent era, between the independence and the looseness that's bringing me and Andrea's screening style with the calls and what gets through, I feel like we've settled into a place that's just, hey, the base level of this show, and I think today's fits this in a big way, the base level of this show, you want to hear pleasant conversations with people who are ready to open up about who they are and then who they also might be under the surface and the things you don't expect. And there's positivity and you feel a little more connected to another human being for an hour. We got you. That's what this show is, especially right now. Um, I'm so concerned, so concerned. You know, we are seeing so many world events that are negative, where you can just see that the structure of online discourse about them throws fuel on the negative side of the fires. And I think it's dangerous and unhealthy. I am not someone who advocates putting your head in the sand. I am not someone who thinks you should not have an opinion. Absolutely not. I am absolutely worried about how many people just spout off extreme opinions sometimes with good intentions, sometimes with bad intentions, but even well-intentioned people, you can see spouting off uh, opinions on things that you didn't care about a month ago and you haven't taken the time to learn about them before you're spouting off the opinion. And we're just living in that world right now. And I'm so lucky to offer an alternative to that, which is long-form conversations with real people as we connect and just figure out each other's humanity Wow, is that a breath of fresh air. And again, not saying hide your head from the world's horrors that are unfolding all the time. I am saying I'm happy that we might have a little show right here that might allow you one hour a week to feel like you're taking a warm shower and getting some actual human connection without all the caveats on it. Not that we don't want calls about divisive things or people with strong opinions. We do. Um, but the base level is not that. And I'm, I'm psyched about that. That being said, I do want to point out, um, one thing we plug at the end of the show. I want to make sure I plug it in the intro. We have a voicemail line. If, if you have a story you want told on beautiful anonymous, we absolutely want to hear it. Call up, pitch us on the voicemail line, 973-306-4676. That is 973-306-4676. And there's a, a number of reasons someone might want to use the voicemail line, but there's two big ones I can think of, which is that one, we tend to record during East Coast work hours because Andrea and I, this is a job and we both have other jobs too. So we need to find breaks uh, in the work schedule and it, it happens to be happening in the afternoons. We've talked a lot about 
trying to prioritize finding some nighttime tapings, some late night tapings. Um, when, if, and when we get more live shows on the schedule, I think that is one of the nice benefits of live shows is they happen later at night for people who can't call during the day. So if the timing doesn't work out for you also, if you feel like you've got a story or you come from a culture, a background, a voice, an opinion that's not finding representation on the show, this show is anything goes, everybody is welcome. We all know that in a way that is so lovely, the people who get through, the, the people who support this show tend to be the the quiet but mighty fan base of there's a, a real female representation and working female, mom-aged female, middle-aged female, however you want to uh, phrase it. A lot of our demographic breakdowns and a lot of these surveys that we do every year or so tell us that. And I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled because I've always been about – I feel like my vo- my work going back to my public access days, going back to when I was at the UCB theater was always – how do we get the people who don't have a voice to have a, who who feels like they're not speak spoken for and how can I do my part to help feel like I'm speaking for them and platforming them and that's all oh, you can I mean I will stand by that till the end of time you could look at my work going back 23 years and realize that I was always on that track and who feels less uh, paid attention to than a mom in modern day society especially you look at when our show launched in 2016 who was feeling less listened to um that being said, there's a lot of voices that need to be heard. We want to hear all of them. 973-306-4676 is the voicemail line. We want diversity on this show. We want diversity in all the ways that we think of it in the public discourse. We want diversity of thought. You are not. I, that does not mean I need to hear exclusively from people whose stories um, are ones that I would agree with. In fact, if you are someone who vehemently disagrees with me and things I say and the way I live or my political opinions. Absolutely. I want to hear from you. I want to hear from people who have lived a lot of real life, who have a lot of real opinions and who feel like they aren't being heard elsewhere. And I want you to know this is a home for you to get your story out there. So use that voicemail line. What else do I have to tell you guys? Show logistics. I know. I see your comments. I keep mentioning that we're about to launch this platform where you can pay for bonus material. I want to tell you guys all about it, but I tell you we're recording this at 3 p.m. on a Friday to the point where I was hoping that maybe an email would come in telling me that the contract was good and I could announce this as part of this taping. That's how close we are that I'm refreshing the email literally right now. It's not in yet. We are so close to nailing down a contract to launch this new platform. It's going to be a sweet, simple thing where you can just get extensions of the episodes that you love. I'm aiming. We're going to see if I can do this, but I'm aiming to make it that the introductory level will just be a dollar a week. You love the show. If you've been listening for years, you got an extra dollar and you want 15 to 20 extra minutes a show a week. There you go. Make it nice and sweet and simple. And then we'll probably have, hopefully, a more advanced tier that's maybe $2 a week. So 8 bucks a month where you can get all that stuff plus some follow-up driven stuff and plus access to a phone number just for people on that tier that we use once in a while. Um, I shouldn't even be announcing this much. But point being, we're trying to build some stuff that's just super streamlined. We're not trying to change the whole game. What I'm not going to do, and this is not throwing shade at other shows, 
I'm what I'm not going to do is take this fan base that's been so loyal for years and granted over seven years, fan bases get smaller. I mean, do you, when we first launched this show, when we were featured on This American Life, we were getting three hundred to five hundred thousand downloads an episode in the first thirty days. Now we still get about fifty thousand. Can be it's rarely less than that. Sometimes it's a little more if it catches chatter online or it has you know sadly if we put anything about drugs or sex in the title it gets more downloads um and i like i like being able to be this full disclosure with you all now those numbers have shrunk but still remarkably strong for a seven-year-old show and what i'm not going to do is make all of the intros about trying to sell you the bonus content it will be mentioned in a classy way um we will push it at times if it's necessary but by and large we're setting it up We're letting you know it exists. We'll do a big push in the beginning to let you know it's there. And then we'll just let it be another extension of the show because the people who listen to this show are chill, thoughtful people. And I'm not just going to be screaming and shouting at you guys to try to get you to give me money. Money's tight for a lot of people right now. And a lot of people don't want more things that they're subscribed to. And I get it. For those of you who do, we're going to build something that's just, I think, a really, really great simple, streamlined, thoughtful way to just give you more of what you already love about the show. It should be coming any day now. It's kind of driving me nuts that I haven't been able to announce it, but we're just trying to nail it all down in the right way. What else? What else do I have to tell you guys about? This one's already going a little long, so I don't want to belabor the point, but I'm very happy to tell you that my day job, which so many people have been so supportive of, that I went out and got a day job. But look, I did it for the right reasons. I want to travel less. I want to be home with my family more. We all have heard through the WGA and the SAG strikes. I think the world has gotten a look at how tenuous it is to get your health insurance through the arts right now. And I've been feeling that for a few years. If any of you read my old book, Dad on Pills, you know I briefly lost my health insurance during the pandemic, and it shook me up as a father. And I'm working at a new organization. I got hired by this organization, Wellness Together, who is incredible. And uh, they're California-based. They have a real stronghold in California. They're spreading other places, but provide a lot of mental health services, particularly focusing on schools. Look them up and all the great work they do. Incredible organization. They have allowed me to create a new umbrella uh, under their umbrella, this new organization called Laughing Together. We're going to have artist outreach in schools. And I've been given the thumbs up and the green light to say we have our infrastructure in place. We have spent many, many months. I have spent so many months. It's been really fascinating talking with psychologists and clinical thinkers and these really brilliant people who care so much about what's happening in schools and who who have been able to help me say like, here is all this clinical research and these studies on how the arts help in schools and how they help kids who are introverted or who have anxiety or who um, feel like they really don't have an outlet for self-expression. And I've then been able to work with some of the most experienced teachers of comedy in the world. Some of these people who I have worked with for literally 25 years, who I really trust and have an implicit connection with creativity creativity wise creatively i should say and to basically say let's build curriculums that focus on the things that this research is pointing out and we've had this i've been the point person 
to be able to say, let's get a bunch of people who really care about what kids need in school, who think about it from a psychology angle, and let's get artists who know how to teach, and let's figure out how to get them teaching things that will be fun for the school environment, where you'll be able to Trojan horse in a lot of lessons on communication, self-expression, doing it all in a good spirit. So Point being, if you're out there, I know there's a ton of social workers who listen to the show. There's a ton of teachers who listen to the show. If you're somebody who's out there who's like, this program sounds awesome. I want to bring it to my school or my organization. It doesn't have to be a school if you're out there. I would love to set up something where we can find a way to cut a deal to someone like the Boys and Girls Club. You know, like these good hearted organizations that work in communities. Basically, if you're hearing about this and you're going, that sounds like a thing that I can help be involved in or should come work with me laughingtogether.org is the website and uh, you can go click on the workshops tab right there and send over your info and we will get in touch and I would love to get this happening and I'm in this very unique place as an artist where I was having a fine career in the arts and I was just getting tired and luckily because everything came together beautiful anonymous I have a good stable safety net financially because of this show and the support you have all shown me and I'm able to do this yes because it's a reliable stable way to get health insurance but even more importantly I have flexibility in my life because of the beautiful anonymous fan base to say no you know what I think it feels like a good thing to dedicate some of my time towards trying to build this program right now maybe right now I'm less interested in trying to act and be on TV and sell TV shows and maybe it seems it just seems cooler to me Maybe a lot of this, obviously, subconsciously is because I have a son who's in preschool to go, how can I help school environments just be thriving and healthy and specifically help reach through to some of the introverted people out there who feel like they don't have the method to connect with others or express themselves and give them this gift of comedy that when I found it, I all of a sudden went from being an introverted kid to feeling like, Oh, I feel like I can take a deep breath and say the things I've always wanted to say because I've now found this outlet to say them. How can I do that? So laughingtogether.org, check it out. And if you're a school administrator or or principal or teacher or social worker or anybody who thinks you can help. Now, don't abuse the uh, contact form on that site, please. I will tell you we had one contact come through and I'm not mad at the guy, but one person who just clearly didn't even read what this was who said, hey, I want you to come do a show in my town. And I was like, a show? This is for workshops. And then he said, and I need to perform on the show because I really need the exposure. I said, this is not this is not the place where you do that. Please. So let's please remember, it's that is not my personal email address. If you If you want to try to get a message through to me, you can send a DM or Facebook message or something. And I sometimes I will check those folders eventually and probably see it. Sometimes I miss things, but please don't use the laughingtogether.org one to be like, I want to organize a show, but put me on the show. I need the exposure. It's that's not what this is anyway. Okay. I'll stop because there's an episode we have to talk about and I'm so excited to talk about it. Our caller throws so much so early and you will hear, I find myself getting very giggly because the caller brings up some real stuff. What's it like to go for a PhD? That's fascinating. What's it like to have a condition that affects you physically? Find out about it. 
later in life, but to feel those physical effects, that's a very serious thing. We could talk for an hour about that, but we don't just talk about that because we also have to talk about Mardi Gras floats and caramel apples and like a hundred other things. So it's a good reminder of real life. And I tell you, this has happened sometimes where I have a lot of fun where I go, Oh, you've put like three topics out there that could each be their own hour. And as a host, it makes my life so easy. Cause I can go, well, if I run out of questions about the Mardi Gras float, I can ask you more about academia. And if we run out of questions about caramel apples, I can ask you more about your joint condition. And we're able to jump around and bounce around in a way that was really lovely and fun. And our caller, um, was just so positive. And also I'll put this out there. Maybe you're somebody who doesn't listen all the time anymore and you're checking back in. The caller fits that classification as well, right? I'm telling you, we're an independent show now, so I have to be a little more forward about it. If you like the show and you haven't left a review on Apple Podcasts, now is the time to do it. It helps so much. If you're out there and you're like, I listen to this show every week and I know I have friends who used to listen and we bonded over it at one point, just give them a heads up. Hey, that this show, it's it's... Not only has it stayed strong, it's found a little, it's found some new momentum, some new energy, some new excitement. You tune back in both because we are independent. So I need to self-promote a little bit more, but also because I really believe it, really feel this energy. And I'm really proud of the show. And when the show almost went away, it was just another reminder to me of absolutely not. I got to protect this one in a big way. So Spread word is what I'm saying. Much like this caller is a lapsed listener who only touches in it, it touches base occasionally, but it's like, no, I got to go catch up. Yeah, tell your friends it's time to catch up. Tell your friends it's time to come back. Beautiful Anonymous, it's as rad as ever. Okay, you all are the best. Thank you for listening. Enjoy our Mardi Gras floating academia navigating syndrome uh, having friend. Thank you for calling Beautiful Anonymous. A beeping noise will indicate when you are on the show with the host. Hello. Hi. Oh my gosh, hey. I'm so excited to be talking to you today. I'm excited to be talking to you today. Uh, Well, I had called in the midst of preparing for my PhD, getting all of that in order. That's uh, what I've been working on today. Wait, like, how have you been today? Uh, not as stressed out as you, I bet. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, honestly, I'm not a person to get very stressed, but there is a lot on my to-do list. And I have an added complication of having to figure out how to accommodate my connective tissue disorder and kind of get that into my schedule and, and figure out like parking arrangements and things like that. So that's been an added layer to the process. Wait, um, can you say the name of that disorder one more time? Oh, yeah. So I said a connective tissue disorder, but the name of the disorder is Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. Wow. Connective uh, tissue. Is that uh, like joints? Yeah. So connective tissue is actually in most of your organs. Um, it is what primarily makes up you know, like your ligaments and your tendons, but there's connective tissue in all of your organs. Like I actually saw a picture once of the connective tissue in your heart and it's basically 
the whole shape of your heart. So it really does make up a lot of your body systems. And so it, it affects a lot more than just your joints. But that is one of the main symptoms. Wow. That sounds like it's not easy to deal with. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a, a different uh, experience. Actually, if I'm being honest, I've had it my whole life because it's genetic, but I didn't know that I had it until like two years ago. So for me, a big part of it was like recognizing what was a symptom. And when I kind of thought I was just on the more normal side, I guess, like I had issues, but I didn't realize, I guess, how different I really was, um, like structurally from other people. And that's been a, a journey to kind of learn about that. Wow. So it sounds like it was not a major issue. And then two years ago, things must've started happening for you to get that diagnosis and find it out. And it sounds like it's really moved quick. Yeah. Well, so there were definitely signs. Um, and I did go to doctors a lot, but I primarily went to doctors for like digestive issues. And also I have endometriosis, which is related to my connective tissue disorder. Um, but they didn't, connect the dots, I guess. So my joint issues were kind of, I just thought that I was really flexible. My mom actually has the disorder too and didn't know it until after I found out. So oh, wow. she just always told me like, yeah, we're really flexible. Like you, you can, and I could always like, I can reach every part of my back <laughs> with my hands. I can, I've always been able to like go into a split really easily. So it, when I was younger, it just seemed like, okay, I'm just really flexible. And then when I got older, I started to have, you know, a little bit more pain, but I kind of just thought that was normal because everyone jokes about how when you're, you turn 30, things start like cracking, right? So it's like, I'm, I'm getting closer to that. And so I just kind of like wrote it off, I guess, until I got into a car accident and um, in the ER, one of the doctors had noticed that I, like she asked me uh, what was hurting. And when I said, I think it's my arm, but I think I just need to pop it back in. And she asked me a couple of questions and told me I should look into Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. And um, then, yeah, now I'm still waiting to get into some of the specialists, but I've, I'm doing a lot better and I'm in physical therapy and everything. And how does it affect your life post-accident? Uh, well, the accident wasn't really much of a, a factor, except for just that it, it helped me kind of uncover the real issues that I was having. Um, but I mean, like most recently, um, I had like about a, a three week period where my shoulder was out most of the time. Oof. And um, even when I popped it back in, it would just kind of like flop out. And it was, it hurt because I could feel like the pulling almost like, you know, it was fighting it against gravity. Um, you know, I have digestive issues. Um, I just got a heart test and didn't do too great on the stress test. So, um, because I also have a condition called POTS um, that is also associated with Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. And it basically means that my heart doesn't adjust for when I stand up or sit down. So I get, my heart rate goes crazy and sometimes I get lightheaded. And, you know, some, sometimes my autonomic nervous system might not work <laughs> exactly like it's supposed to. Wow. Just the fact that you know the phrase autonomic nervous system means you're some, you got something you need to think about all the time. Well, I guess that kind of ties back to the PhD because um, I was a former science teacher. Uh, now I work with teachers, but 
uh, I'm definitely science minded to the point where I found out recently that one of my doctors put it on my chart that I'm a scientist and I had to correct them. No, I'm not a scientist, just a science nerd and science teacher. So what is the PhD in? May I ask? Yeah, of course. Um, so I'm getting it in curriculum and instruction and I'm going to focus all of my studies on um, science instruction specifically. That's so cool. That's so cool. Even if you have to do it with your shoulder, quote, flopping out of the socket. I believe that's how you phrased it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm like, uh, I tend to just kind of try to roll with it and, you know, not let it stop me as much as I can. Because everybody's got something they're pushing through, right? So that's just my my thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I actually did have a rheumatologist tell me um, that I should start making sure that if I have a bucket list that I get the more involved activities uh, checked off because I might not be able to, you know, travel and do those kinds of things in a decade or two. So I have been working on that uh, as well outside of just trying to reach my career goals, also trying to make sure that I'm experiencing all the things that I want to experience too. So there's a little bit of a bucket list aspect to your life in the, in the movie sense of like, you're making that list of things you need to get done. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I I don't think that I'm going to, you know, uh, necessarily have a shorter life expectancy, but just on my mobility might um, become significantly decreased in my ability to kind of get out, get out and, and do things. Um, so yeah, I'm just trying to make the most of it. And I fortunately have some uh, great people in my life that will go on adventures with me and help me make the most of it. So I think that Overall, my life is still pretty great, even though I do have this one, uh, I guess, challenge, you could say. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Actually, I actually uh, own a Mardi Gras float. Excuse me? <laughs> I own a Mardi Gras float. We really buried the lead on this one, huh? <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, I'm sure that there's probably questions about about that. I mean, wait, because um, it's—I mean, it's a, a really unique experience, I guess. I will—I I will say I love that you've thrown out that you have a disease that gives you floppy joints. Your adjective, not mine. You're getting a doctorate, which is one of the most intense levels of scrutiny that a human can put themselves through at the at the rigor under the rigorous watch of academia, which. I'm sure has many swirling issues around it and you must feel so exposed and, and um, like you're under a microscope in many different ways. And those things are really fascinating. I do have a lot more questions, but I also like that you just tossed in there that you just own a Mardi Gras float. Is it in new Orleans or one of the other Mardi Gras cities? One of the other Mardi Gras cities. Um, I actually don't really go to new Orleans very much anymore. It's the last couple of times that I've been, it's, there's, there's been something that happens there because it just people go wild. Yeah. So this is a more local, a, lo- a more local Mardi Gras, but still like the biggest 
parade in my city. Because there are people don't realize there there are some non New Orleans Mardi Gras, and some of them are you know much smaller than you'd think, and some of them are still pretty bad. As I think, is it is it? Uh, I think in Alabama, I think Mobile has has a big one. There's a few places where Mardi mm-hmm. Gras is very big, but it's kind of always in the in the public discourse. You think New Orleans right away. But you live in one of the secondary or tertiary Mardi Gras celebrating markets. I'll say I'll say probably secondary. I would I would classify it as we're still a pretty sizable parade. There's like over a hundred floats. And are, is it still? What do they call? What's the groups? Different groups of people that fund the the floats and parades in. Uh, uh, I know in New Orleans they have names. Yeah, it's called a. Yeah, it's called a crew. A crew. So do you we still have, have crew. crews? You do. So it still works under this crew system. Yeah, we have a crew. And does yep. the does With the crew ex- does the crew exist? Uh, I'm, I feel like such an <laughs> asshole that I've got 95 <laughs> questions about a Mardi Gras float, whereas I was feeling very awkward about both your condition and your academia. But I have to know. So does a crew exist just for the Mardi Gras float, or does is a crew like a social club slash secret society that meets year round? and happens to just come up for air publicly for Mardi Gras? So it depends. Um, there are, like, really loose crews, and and, it, and also the parade depends, too, because some parades are very loose and just whoever is, is riding, and then all the way up to exactly what you said, like, organized, uh, like, these social clubs that will do things throughout the year, and, you know, they spend thousands and thousands of dollars on their float every year. It can, it, it, there's definitely a range there for sure. We're like, it's mostly just my friends. And then, you know, uh, <laughs> people that have been riding the float since before I owned it. So we're not like that serious about it. But there's definitely, there's definitely some crews that are like full on organizations. We're not that serious. I'm like still trying to figure out how I'm going to decorate it this year. <laughs> Do you have to get registration and insurance for a Mardi Gras float? I've always wanted to know. Does the DMV need to know about this thing? So there is insurance, but like, I don't know. It doesn't work this way necessarily for all parades, but for our parade, we pay like a registration fee for our, our float. And then that covers the insurance for that day. So like our floats not insured, to just ride around the city as we want to, but it is insured that day going for all the parade activities. Where does one store a Mardi Gras float the other 50 something weeks of the year? Yeah, that is a struggle. Um, And so we just have to pay to store it at like a storage facility. Um, But some people have like big enough, you know, areas that they store it at their house. That definitely would not work for us, but um, so yeah, we just pay to store it. But it is—it's like forty-five feet long. Forty-five feet long. Does it have a specific theme? Do you switch it up each year, or or are you known for a specific thing with your particular float? Well, so our parade is flamingo themed. Um, so like everything's pink instead of the traditional Mardi Gras colors, you would think. 
Um, but the theme of the parade changes every year. And then we just kind of decorate it to that if we want. And if we don't like the theme, then we just ignore it and do whatever we decide. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I love this. And when you have a smaller Mardi Gras, is it still... Is there still public drunkenness? Is there still, hey, here's some beads for some nudity? Or is that a New Orleans thing that you roll your eye at? Oh, no, 100%. One of my, so one of my best friends is from Philly, and um, she came down and, well, she, she moved down here. And I asked her, I was like, hey, do you want to ride in the parade? And she was like, yeah, sure. So I picked her up and... I guess I didn't do a good job of prepping her because she did not realize that she was going to be on the float. (laughs) So she like got there and it was a totally new experience. And it was really funny seeing it from her perspective because she was like, wait, it's seven in the morning and we're taking jello shots on the street. And I was like, yeah, no, it's cool. And she was like, but there's a cop right there and there's a beer in my hand. Are we sure this is cool? And I was like, yeah, no, it's, it's totally fine. And she was just, and she was, you know, posted pictures of it. And her friends were like, literally what happened in that state. But that is, that's what happens during Mardi Gras. It's exactly what you would expect. Like, it's just a huge party. I love this. Okay. Let's jump back to one of the other topics. This idea of getting a doctorate. I've always heard about this process where you have to basically go for before a panel of in my mind, the cliche is that they're older professors. They're, it feels like the Supreme Court. The cliche in my mind is that it's kind of like old, judgy, white guys who like read over your work and ask you to defend it. How real is that? Well, I'll be honest. I'm not even close to knowing what that feels like. I I feel like I have a similar <laughs> um, impression in my head of like, what it's going to feel like, but I, I feel like I'm not even close to to knowing that. So I guess we'll just have to see how it comes. Okay. Okay. So you're not, you're not at the tail end of this process yet. So no, I'm literally just like just now getting started next semester. So I like yesterday I had to go get my vaccinations because I didn't have, didn't have uh, all my school shots up to date. Apparently I was, I needed to get my tetanus shot. So all of those stupid little things that I got to deal with, that's where I'm at in the process. Um, Not even, I haven't even decided what I'm going to write my dissertation on yet. Uh, Okay. So that's, that's to be determined too. Do you have ideas on what you want to apply your doctorate towards moving forward? Professional thing? Are you going to stay in academia? Honestly, I'm not sure. I'm, uh, I really love my job right now. So, um, I could see myself staying there for a while. I just think that I, uh, like the idea of having all of my options open so I can just kind of decide what feels right at the time, especially because I don't know exactly what, you know, my physical situation is going to be. I think having the most options career wise is going to be the best put me in the best situation um, to make sure that I can find a job that works for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How many years have you owned this Mardi Gras float? So this is the third year, um, but I've ridden in it on it for five years. So I rode before I actually owned it. How did you come to own it? 
Uh, well, it was one of my mom's friends that was selling it. So they just uh, asked us if we wanted to buy it. And I was like, I said to my husband, I was like, when are we ever going to get an opportunity to buy a Mardi Gras float ever again? So we just had to go for it. Got it. And you said you said you have Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have the hypermobile types. There's actually 13 different types, but. Okay. Do you want to go ahead? I just need to get this out of the way. And Andrea, this might be a bad idea. I've typed this to Andrea. I think I need to just ask, have we met in real life? Let's pause right there because I have to tell you. When I ask, have we met? There's a reason I think why. It's one of the most socially uncomfortable moves I've ever made on the show. But if you have been listening thus far and said, Chris seems a little tight compared to usual, there's a reason why. And I'm about to explain it when we get back. Buckle up, everybody. That sound is coming. Sound we've all come to know and love. Today's podcast is sponsored by NutriSense. And that, of course, is the sound of the NutriSense Biosensor, which is a small device. You put it on your arm, it provides real-time feedback. It lets you know how your body's doing, how it's responding to foods, exercise, your stress levels, how your sleep is going. NutriSense, you take a photo of your meal, you adjust for portion size, NutriSense gets to work, does the rest. It's, it's such a high-level tracker of these things. It's really cool. I mean, nobody else is out here. To my knowledge, tracking glucose trends, breaking down your macronutrient breakdown for every meal, giving you an overall glucose score for every meal based on how your body's responding. On top of that, with NutriSense, you'll be matched with a board-certified nutritionist who will review your data and answer your questions. Plus, they can help you with a personalized nutrition plan, help you achieve your goals. This is why you've got to try NutriSense today. It'll open your eyes in profound ways to how food, exercise, lifestyle, how all these choices are affecting you. And it empowers you with a real-time feedback loop. It shows you what's happening to your body with your food choices and your lifestyle choices. It's a very powerful tool. Helps you understand your body. Helps you make some positive changes. You can get all of this today. NutriSense has a special offer for our listeners. Visit NutriSense.com beautiful and use code BEAUTIFUL to start decoding your body's messages and pave the way for a healthier life. Be sure to tell them you learned about NutriSense on Beautiful Anonymous. That's NutriSense.com slash beautiful. You'll save 30 bucks off your first month. Plus, get a month of board-certified nutritionist support. Thanks to all of our advertisers. And now let's get to one of the more awkward moments I've ever created in the history of Beautiful Anonymous. Do you want to go ahead? I just need to get this out of the way. And Andrea, this might be a bad idea. I've typed this to Andrea. I think I need to just ask, have we met in real life? No, I wish, but no. Okay. 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 <laughs> that, that pause almost. Okay. Good to know. Well, because I will tell you, and I'm not trying to, not trying to make anyone feel awkward, let alone myself, anything. I will tell you that I know someone who has Ehlers uh, Danlos syndrome, and that is a person that I did have 
a very brief love affair with. So there was a stretch up and up until now in this call, it was diminishing the more details you revealed. <laughs> I will tell you for the first time, cause it's not the most common thing. I mean, yeah. So when you started explaining well, it, I will tell you, it... we started this show in 2016 and we've gone this many years. And I just had to type in the chat document to Andrea there is a chance I have slept with this person and I'm glad to hear that's <laughs> oh not the case. God. I needed to get it out of the way to move on from my own awkwardness in the beginning. If you listen back to this, the beginning, you'll hear my questions are a little stilted and cause I'm sitting here and I'm going is, and this is a person who I'm on good terms with a lovely human being. And we had a, we had a, a little fling and I, I will say there was a brief moment where I go, how do I navigate this? So I, as you've revealed that you own a float and now that you're married, I felt confident enough in the answer that I could let you know. That's why I felt a little awkward in the beginning. If you could sense that. Oh no, we're all good. Uh, no, I, we definitely have not met. In fact, uh, I started listening to your podcast because our house flooded and I didn't have any other form of entertainment except podcasts. So I was like, mm -hmm. let me get into podcasts and Great. I've been listening ever since, but, uh, Yes. That is my introduction to you. That is through, through that, beautiful anonymous. That is what I like to hear for you to say my house flooded. <laughs> so I got into you. Not I am that person who we once wound up in a hotel room together <laughs> in Los Angeles for a, a night of fun. Happy to hear. And this, by the way, yeah, no, not that one. many, many years ago when I was a young single a uh, wild man out on the scene. Okay. Well, also I'm sorry to hear that your house <laughs> flooded and now we can just move on from the awkwardness of this. Well, good. I'm, I'm glad that we're, <laughs> that we're good there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, well, what's interesting is they say that like there's, they used to classify it as a rare disease, but there's some evidence that it's as common as like one in 500 and that it's oh, wow. the bigger issue is actually just like diagnosis and, and um, getting people identified. But there are a lot of people um, in, you know, experts in Ehlers-Danlos saying it's not really as uncommon as it might have originally seemed like it was. Uh, that that's good to hear that there's that much research going and that if people are starting to find that it's more common, I imagine there's only going to be more money put into the research and how to help, which would be good for you. So I like hearing that. Yeah, no. And it's, uh, it's definitely good to see when, you know, people are bringing it. I've seen, you know, articles about it on national sites. And I think that that really, helps uh, because honestly there's a lot of doctors that don't know what it is um, or yeah. have like think that it's it's one thing and, and it's actually another thing um, like there's all the times people with EDS have you know doctors that don't understand and uh, it, it is like a, it's a problem um, and I think that that's not just for EDS I feel like in general um, there's a lot of people that fall through the cracks you know well, I tell you, I, I do empathize on this one because I think I must have mentioned it on the show before. I have a, I have a rare joint condition. Um, I don't think it affects my life on a daily basis in the way yours does. But I do know that feeling of having something that doctors haven't encountered all that often and that people haven't heard about all that often. And it can be, it can be a weird feeling.
can be a real weird thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I actually somehow I did not know that I must have not, uh, heard that episode i'll be honest i've been yeah, really busy and i've gotten that. behind on the show <laughs> as you and everybody else it sounds like hey everybody it's time to get back on board all right we're independent a lot of people who were listening two three years ago i need you to come back baby let's make this one an audiogram for the instagram andrea it's time to come back show's better than ever the show's better than ever as this caller proves well, I, I can tell you I will make an effort to catch up because I've been saying that to my husband. I need to do it because he's caught up and he's like, you you would love this latest episode. And I've just been so busy, but I'm, okay. I'm going to get caught up. Listen, someday climate change is only going to get worse. Your house will flood again and you'll have all the time in the world for podcasts. Not a great joke. I apologize. I apologize. No, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. <laughs> As a science educator, I appreciate acknowledgement of that. It's got to be weird. I mean, it sounds like, I mean, I don't know exactly where you live, but if it's Mardi Gras, it is in general the deep south on some level, I would think. The deeper south. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to ask, as someone who's getting a doctorate to become a science educator, you're also living in a region of the world that the cliche, now this is not the truth, but the cliche is that this is a place where science is, how would you put it, um, like weirdly debated for something that comes down to facts and to the scientific method and proving it. It's weird that science is the thing that's debated in recent history. People debate the actual validity of science. It must be strange for you. And you live in a region where that's the cliche. Now, that's not the truth. Like I said, I'll never forget the first time I performed in Birmingham and found out that two-thirds of the crowd was literal NASA scientists. And I was like, okay, cliches aren't real. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the reality is there's all kinds of people everywhere, and obviously there's more prevalence of certain uh, ideas in certain places and definitely a real thing uh, here. But um, I feel like that's part of what makes me me really value the work that I do because the the shift in science education is to move away from just like cramming facts in a kid's head, and instead of that, like actually giving them analytical skills to like look at evidence and to analyze the source, analyze the validity of the conclusions that they're drawing from that evidence, because we can't know what what scientific issues they're going to be dealing with you know like a couple of years ago obviously we were dealing with the pandemic and that was a big conversation with within science and it, and it brought science to like the forefront of a cultural conversation and we never know when the next time that's going to happen is but if we can get kids the thinking skills that they need to make those critical decisions and evaluations then i think we'll just have a it'll just be a lot better off in a lot of ways, not just scientifically, you know? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Because on a basic level, that's also, you do think of it like, when you think about science and education, and you must have strong opinions on this, sit here and I go, on one level, you think of it as being stuffy and impenetrable and almost like it happens in a language that's not a language that common people can decipher. But then on another level, you're like, well, science is participatory and demonstrable 
and should be, and quite often is the most fun thing to learn, especially for young people. So hearing that there's efforts to say, let's cram less facts and figures into kids' heads and more, let's show them how this works and how they can, how they can learn to be analytical through it and get to conclusions through it. I'm all for that. Kudos to you. Yeah. That, I mean, that's definitely the shift like nationally um, is thinking of science as more of a process and less of just a body of knowledge. I feel like we focused a lot on science as a body of knowledge before, and we're still acknowledging that yes, there is science knowledge that we're going to look at, but we're going to look at it through the lens of figuring stuff out as opposed to like, I'm going to tell you how it is. And that process, when they go through that process of figuring things out, that helps them develop those thinking skills. So they're still learning, you know, those science facts, but just through a more like organic way. And yeah, I think that it's, I, I wish I had gotten to, you know, uh, learn science that, that way. And I wish that uh, my husband even said, he was like, I think if I learned science that way, I would have liked it. Yeah. Uh, so I think we're definitely uh, moving in a direction to like get more kids interested in the process of science because you know, that's really where the innovation comes in. Now, when you go from just being on the float to owning the float, does it take away some of the fun of Mardi Gras to add this layer of ownership and responsibility? It's like, I mean, it's like plus and minus, you know, I guess like a lot of things. Uh, I don't get to get as, as, I can't drink as much for sure because now I'm like responsible for for all the people. Um, but the benefit is that I get to have all my friends on the float. And, and honestly, it feels like I get to host like the best party every year. That's rad. Does it cost you an arm and a leg though? Like, or do you, have, does you, people contribute financially? Yeah. So you pay to ride the float. And so that helps offset it. I mean, we do. I'm not saying we're making money. We're still losing a little money, but I mean, it's, it's worth it to me. Um, like I said, it's like, it's, it's really fun. And honestly, it's like nothing else, even like people that have been going to Mardi Gras their whole life, they'll ride and they'll be like, Oh my God, that was like nothing I've ever experienced. Like it is, it's just a wild, it's wild. And so it's definitely worth the trouble. I think I want to get specific about how this is a particularly wild Mardi Gras experience because hearing that you're someone who's going for a PhD in science education does not denote wild. <laughs> so I want to hear yeah, the specifics so of I'm... how this is wild. You just said even by people who know Mardi Gras standards. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, I'm like a, I really try to do the like, I work hard, but I also like to live live life and play hard too. So, uh, I would say that the like uh, the best way to describe the experience is like it's like the closest thing that a normal person can get to being a rock star, because everybody in the audience in front of you is like screaming for your attention and wanting what you are like. You're throwing the beads, and they, that's what they want. So, like. It's just a wild, like the energy is just crazy. I mean, and, and there's, it's music and fun and dancing. It's like, it's just like a fun party, People a big drinking. party and a, a unique, 
a unique vantage point of the party too. Now, people are drinking. Are there other substances? When we say rock star lifestyle, are people getting real coked out on the Mardi Gras floats? Not on mine. It's mostly teachers. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they have drug, they have drug um, tests. I mean, I'm sure somewhere, but yeah, no, uh, we just partake in the, the normal <laughs> Mardi Gras experience. But I'm going to be honest, a lot of the Mardi Gras like owners are a lot older than than me. Um, like when I go, I'm like one of the only women that's at the owner meeting that's like younger. Um, so it's, it'll be interesting to see like how the culture of the float, like the float owners kind of shifts. Uh, I'm assuming, you know, eventually that will shift to the next generation. So I think that'll be interesting to kind of see now how wanna, that changes things. I want to point something out. That Andrea actually just typed something in our shared document that I had already been thinking my version of. Because Andrea said her accent keeps getting more and more pronounced. I love it. But what I have noticed is actually deeper than that. I do sense, and we could go back and review the audio on this, but when you talk about your PhD or your syndrome, your accent is a lot less pronounced than when you talk about Mardi Gras. The Southern, the, the accent really comes out. <laughs> That's funny. You know, honestly, that makes sense because I feel like there are. I'm. A, I uh, feel like there are definitely two sides to me. There's like the fun party side to me, and then there's like the really serious business side. And sometimes I do think that uh, people are surprised when they meet me in like one context or the other because I'm also like very heavily tattooed, and people mm -hmm. don't expect that. Um, like I, I got my first tattoo when I was 13. So, um, I've 13, I, like people don't always, <laughs> yeah. So uh, people don't always expect what comes out of my mouth if they've only met me in like one setting, you know, <laughs> what tattoo did you get at the age of 13? What are you talking about? You're going for a PhD. <laughs> like I said, I, I think I'm, uh, not what people expect. Um, yeah, I mean, it was just like a stupid design that I'm hopefully going to cover up soon. But uh, yeah, I'm definitely not. I, I don't think that I'm what people would always expect of a PhD candidate. Oh, and I love the glee in your voice as you say that, by the way. By the way, I do love hearing you say that. Like, it's fair to say, like, you're, you talk to us about your syndrome and your PhD and a little bit about the Mardi Gras. And I'm going to say a phrase and... It might be a little reductive or dismissive. I don't mean it as such because I have great respect and you sound like a very smart person who's not only smart but applying your intelligence towards a degree that's going to help other people moving forward. I have great respect of it, but also I'm starting to sense this chick parties. <laughs> I mean, yeah, no, I, you're not wrong. <laughs> not in like a, a – like. I mean, I was – crazier when I was younger I you know but I do like to have a good time I'm not even always drinking but just I like last night I went to my friend's house and we made caramel apples the night before I another friend came over and we made jack-o'-lanterns I'm always like trying to do something if I have a free moment no wait hold on hold on because I will just say 
again, your scale, I can tell we got to nail down your scale because I will say you're like, I got tattoos when I was 13. I own a Mardi Gras float. It's the best party in town. I go to the Mardi Gras meeting. Everyone else is older and I'm an outlier, but I'm this new generation. People aren't what they expect. And I'm like, wow, this chick parties. And you're like, fuck yeah, I do. I made caramel apples and jack-o'-lanterns this week, motherfucker. Those are not party examples. You bring up caramel no, apples always... and jack-o'-lanterns? I'm, I'm not always a, a drinking party. T- well, because I mean, if I'm being honest, I can't drink that much anymore because uh, it messes with my pots. So I tried but to... But you can eat caramel till the cows come home. <laughs> exactly. I can do the caramel. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, like, I'll be honest, I do, like, I, I, I like to go out, but I also just like to have experiences, so I wouldn't say that I'm, like, a huge partier, necessarily. I just have experiences, and if that includes partying, I'm down for it, but I'm down for all <laughs> kinds of things. I just I, like to, I just like to, to do things. I will say, if you're making um, a graph, and at one end is... I got my first tattoo when I was 13 and at the other end is I am entering a PhD program in science education. I would say probably somewhere about 60% of the way towards PhD is where I make caramel apples lands on that graph. It's not the yeah, midpoint. Yeah. It's not the midpoint. Well, it's past the midpoint. <laughs> it's more towards science education PhD candidate. But there's it's a wide range of life you've lived is the point I'm making. Oh yeah. I try. <laughs> I I like to go on at least one trip a year. This year we went on a lot of trips. Um I I try to do all the things. If somebody invites me to something, if I can go, I'm going. Yeah. Yeah, I know people like you. Because, like, you never know when you're not going to feel like you can go. It's a a good attitude. I like it. What are some of the trips you've been on? What are some of the best places you've been on these trips? Well, uh, this summer, my husband and I went to California, and um, Mm -hmm. I really love San Francisco. Mm -hmm. It Mm -hmm. it was amazing. I could live there. the trip before we went to New York City, which I loved. I'm actually a, you wouldn't believe it, I'm sure, from talking about my accent, but I'm originally from Boston. Um, I only lived there till I was eight, what? but I. That's perhaps <laughs> the most shocking thing you've brought up so far. There is no way I am talking to a Boston native right now. That's not possible. The, I'm an East no. Coaster. I know Bostonians. This accent ain't it. Yeah, no, the only way I feel like it comes out actually when I drink, I get more Boston. And also <laughs> it, it comes out in random words. The one that my husband loves to point out is water. No, you said that like you're from uh, Philly. That That's not a here. Boston thing. That's a Philly. You just said water like Philly. <laughs> I you know, I don't even know. Like I said, I have friends from all my be- one of my best friends is from Philly, so maybe I just, you know, it kind of melded, but even before I knew her, I said it not like people do down here. People down here have asked me where I'm from, and when I say I'm from Baton Rouge, they're like, "Oh, darn it, I just said it." Well, oh well. I, you know, anybody from here knew where I was from when I said the flamingos anyway. 
Um, <laughs> yeah. You are from They'll, Boston, but you sound like when you talk about your Mardi Gras float, you sound like a character from Treme. I, I, this is wild. You're an enigma. I, I'm, you're not the first person that said that to me. That you're an enigma? Yeah, I think like I, I think people will start to say that as they learn more about me because I don't think that I make sense to people. Throw something else at me. Just drop another fact from your life on me. Okay, um, both of my parents are writing a book about aliens separately. Like they didn't, they didn't know that each other was writing them. Uh, which I think gives some idea of like what my parents are like. Um, Wait a second. Oh, you've broken me. You've broken me a little bit mentally. Let's pause right there. Just when you thought the caller might not have anything and no more curveballs to throw. She already threw the curve and the slider and the screwball. Well, here comes the knuckleball. Parents writing alien books. We will discuss when we get back. I am so grateful to once again be here telling you about Talkspace. Talkspace has been the most long-term supporter of Beautiful Anonymous. And what a good fit. Because if you know me, you know I care about my mental health. You know that I've cared about spreading word on the need to speak more openly about mental health and destigmatize this conversation and find help for yourself. And Talkspace has been a longtime partner of this show. And I feel so lucky to be talking to you today about them because they are a forward thinking organization in that exact conversation. I know that winter's coming. That's not just a catchphrase from the old Game of Thrones show a couple years ago. Winter's coming. We're going to have less daylight. Leaves are falling off the trees. It's getting colder. People start to get depressed. The seasonal thing, it's very real. Now's the time to start thinking about how to get help that is comfortable for you. I think some things we need to talk about right away. Let's make sure that it's accessible and affordable. Because a lot of times we think that seeing a therapist or psychiatrist is going to break the bank. Or is going to take up way too much of our time. Try Talkspace. By doing everything online, Talkspace has made getting the help you want easy, accessible, and affordable. Don't wait. Don't be one of these people that says, well, I haven't hit rock bottom yet. I'll talk to a therapist once my mental health totally bottoms out. The logic of that, just think about it for 10 seconds. Don't wait until things hit rock bottom. Help the plane start finding altitude right now, okay? Go out. Find the help you need. Talkspace makes it easy. They make it affordable. You can sign up online and get a personalized match with a provider that's right for you. That typically happens within 48 hours. You can go ahead, make it so easy. You don't have to commute to appointments anymore. You don't have to stress about if it's going to eat up time at work or if you need to line up child care for your therapy. It's mental health on your terms. It's care made easy. It's also very secure, very private. They use bank grade encryption technology to store their client information, complies with all of the major, major latest HIPAA regulations, which are a very important thing. And of course it's affordable. It's in network with most major insurers. Talkspace is out here finding new innovative ways 
to bring therapy to your life, removing a lot of the stigmas, the barriers, the excuses. It's time. As a listener of this podcast, you'll get $80 off of your first month with Talkspace when you go to Talkspace.com slash beautiful. To match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com slash beautiful to get $80 off of your first month and show your support for the show. That's Talkspace.com slash beautiful. Thanks again to our advertisers, and now we are going to finish off the phone call. Wait a second. Oh, you've broken me. You've broken me a little bit mentally. <laughs> I'm still reeling from the fact that you were born in Boston. Your parents both started working on books and then along the way in the yeah. process realized they were both writing. Have they encountered aliens? No, they just, I come from a weird family. <laughs> Have you read one or both of your parents' alien-themed books? I have not actually read either one of them, but I've consulted both of them because they both have told me about their stories, and I'll make suggestions. So I'm, I think, the only one that knows both of their stories, and it actually took a while before I told them that they were separately writing alien books because they are no longer together, if you couldn't guess. So your parents are separate. It sounds like that. I mean, it sounds like they are actually a very good match in many ways. Uh, are, nonfiction They're or fiction? Still friends. That's good. That's good. Both non- fiction. Both, Both fiction. fiction. And you're able to tell them, hey, just so you know, my dad's writing a book about aliens as well. Hey, my mom's writing a book about aliens. You guys are going to want to talk. Make sure you don't cross over with your ideas too much. <laughs> Yeah, no, eventually they did, uh, they did, you know, I told them, brought it up when they were both together and, uh, they talked about it, but I don't think they're going to collab, but yeah, it is. I feel like it's just one little, uh, fact that says a lot about what my experience is like in my house and maybe why I am the way I am. <laughs> wow. When you grow up with parents that are weird, you turn out weird. I guess that's how it works. Wow. Wow. Alien loving parents, Mardi Gras float owner, PhD candidate, floppy joints. Yeah. It's very, a very specific, I guess. Mm -hmm. Mm Yeah, uh, my husband is from like, like more of like a area around the like south of New Orleans area, so like deep in the Bayou Country area, and it's definitely uh, like funny uh, him marrying me and I'm, me being like so weird. I'm sure compared to everyone else that his parents expected him to. Mary, but fortunately they love and embrace the fact that I'm weird. Um, so that, that's good. <laughs> but I definitely think that sometimes when people meet me, they're like, where did she come from? Yeah. Not at first. I look normal if they're not looking too hard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I also uh, grew up in the Unitarian church. I don't know how familiar you are with that, but that's a unique experience too. 
I had a friend in high school whose father was a Unitarian reverend. And I do remember him explaining it to me as like, if I remember right, he was like, it's on a basic level Christianity, but that can really take on any form. You define it as such. And I remember once asking him like, so if I wanted to worship an egg, could I worship an egg? He's like, absolutely. I can see ways that eggs would be at the center of your, your worship and why. So I remember having that conversation that it sounds like a very malleable version of Christianity, true or false. Um, true in, at its basis, but I wouldn't say that that completely encapsulates my experience. Break it down for me. What are the basics here? Well, so in my experience, in reality, like there's the there's there's a religion of Unitarian Universalism, and then there's like the people that actually wind up going to the Unitarian Church, which obviously helps shape the experience of the church. And in my experience, it was a lot of people that had like either like they weren't they didn't have a solid um they they were spiritual but maybe not like super religious in an organized way or like i had a friend who you know had parents of different faiths so they brought their kids there and raised their kids in the church and and because the church really basically emphasizes like free will and respecting everyone's individual journeys so i mean you really are free to kind of like believe whatever you want to believe and it's almost just like this community in some ways i feel like from an outside perspective i could see why you might say that it was almost more of like a philosophy than a religion in the sense that there are different religious beliefs like built within it but like everyone agrees to just respect everyone else's perspective and like when i was in middle school we went to we learned about like every religion that was that was represented in our community and we would learn about them one Sunday and then we would go to the service the next. So I even went, I went to like all kinds of religious ceremonies. I had an experience in going to their, their place of worship. And that's just like a really, it was like a really enriching experience for me to kind of be immersed in a bunch of different perspectives growing up. I think it, it did help uh, shape, you know, my view on the world really, uh, having all of those experiences as a kid. I love that. I also know a bunch of the founding fathers were Unitarian and I always got the sense that there's been stretches in history where it was a faux pas to maybe be agnostic or an atheist, especially if you were in high society, but you could be Unitarian and people were cool with that. And that was kind of as close as you were going to get to like, not being dogmatic in your faith, being not being an outcast for not having faith, but being, like you said, more of a philosopher than actually thinking in a religious sense. Yeah, no, that's very, uh, that, that sounds very true to me. And honestly, like, I think that that was something that made me feel really comfortable when I joined the church. Cause originally we didn't go to church until I was in middle school and like I always used to tag along with my friends. Like one of my friends was Jewish, and I went to the synagogue so much that the rabbi said that I should change my name so that I can go to camp with her. Like I was always just like tagging along with somebody else's like church experience because I didn't have to go 
home for mine. And so I would just spend the night at their house and go. And when I, like, when my family started going to the Unitarian Church, it finally felt like I was like, okay, this is what it felt like. Like, now I can say that I have a community just like everybody else. And so that was a really nice thing, especially in, in like you said, the Deep South, where there's, like, religion. People just assume that you are religious and will often ask you what church you go to, like, as an intro, especially older people, not really as much, like, younger generations, but, like, older people will sometimes emphasize that. So it, it is nice to, like, have that outside of a super organized experience. I like that. An interesting mix. An interesting mix of things going on. Well, how has your day been going so far? My day, let's see. Uh, it's been pretty good. My wife was in New York for two days. She had different. She had things Wednesday and Thursday night, so she just went and crashed there instead of running back and forth. So I've had a lot of time with Cal, even though I have a deadline on my next book, and also, you know, have like my new job and this podcast, my New Jersey podcast. So it's one of those things where it's like, I got to figure out how to not always have four jobs at once and be able to relax. Cause I, I'm happy to tell you, I'm now at a point in my life where I'm like, eh, all this other stuff has pressure on it. But I think what I'm going to do is just eat the pressure so I can go hang out with my kids. So I've been hanging out with him a bunch this week. It's been very fun. I like it. So things are good. You know? Yeah, I love that. I also have that problem. Like, I got an email about a new project, and my husband was like, you're going to say no, right? Like, you can't possibly add another thing when you're about to start your PhD. And I was like, well, I'm at least going to take the meeting. So, yeah, I that is – it's hard because, like, you don't want to miss out on an opportunity, but then at the same time, it's like you're a human, so – Making sure that you leave room to be a human. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How did you and your husband meet? So we actually met when we were teenagers. Um, we met at like the restaurant I was working at. And then we, so he was like with me through all of the the medical issues. Like we had been together for eight months um, when it first started and I literally woke up screaming. I've never had that experience before or since. Um, and I was just like in intense pain and he took me to the ER and stayed with me. And like I said, we were teenagers have been together eight months and I totally expected him to just be like, Whoa, this is way too much. But he was always super supportive and like waited and I, I was having a lot of medical issues. Like I had to stop working at one point. I had to have surgery and he like helped me through all of that. And then eventually we got married like six years ago now. Um, so we've been together like 15 years. Um, and he's been very supportive. That's one thing. A lot of women that have chronic illness um, have, you know, talk about issues with their partner, like having a supportive partner. And a lot of women even find like difficult to find a partner, but I, I've been very lucky that my husband has always been like super supportive and like never uh, made me feel like any, any negative emotions that I had about my health would never came from him. It was always me. And he was always like encouraging me to push, push those away. So he is 
amazing and I'm very lucky. That's cool. That's cool. Have a good partner. Have somebody steps up. Yeah. And I mean, it's, I'm sure it's hard. Like I think about what it's like for, you know, to be a partner of someone that has a chronic illness. And I'm sure that that is, you know, challenging. I'm very appreciative of how great he is at picking up the slack when he can. And does he party too, or is he more the stable one? <laughs> um, I mean, he will be right there alongside me, but he's definitely the one that's like going to be the, he's like the responsible make sure everybody gets home safe more type of type of person of the two of us. Mm-hmm. 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 So you're a little bit more wild and he's a little bit more, I'll make sure we get home safe. Oh yeah, for sure. He's like the responsible one in a lot of ways. And I'm like the scatterbrained, but still uh, do, you know, still doing stuff, but just way less organized than him sometimes. Mm-hmm. You're out here like, I'm about to eat my but, third caramel apple. And he's like, hey, at some point, we got to <laughs> go to bed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I feel like everybody, you know, needs at least one person like that in a relationship. Yeah. At least one person to to be the responsible one all the time. Like, reminds me, like, you know, you can't go to sleep without eating. You need eat whether you want to or not you probably should mm-hmm. so yeah he's he's definitely the uh, i feel like i'm more like an idea uh person and like i have all these ambitions and i have all these things that i want to do and he's like the responsible one of like making sure we can do all of the things <laughs> i like that i like that do you have a? do you have i mean obviously going for your doctor it's a big one and it's going to take up a lot of space and time you mentioned that there was a recent thing where he was like you can't take on another thing you're also saying you have all the big ambitions are there any ambitions on your to-do list where you're like i will get to that one at some point in my life things where you're like these these boxes will be checked yeah i mean in a bunch of a million small ways but i guess like the the big ways is that i mean i've always wanted to finish my PhD. So I would say that's always been something up there. But apart from that, like just life-wise, travel is really important to me and definitely a priority, especially like in the next decade or so, because while I can still, you know, move around as much as I can, um, I plan on trying to see as much as I can. So I would say that's like a big goal. Um, And a lot of like as far as health wise, I just I go to physical therapy every week, so that's like a big. I go to it's two different physical therapists every week, so that's how I uh, work to make sure that I can go do those things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And with travel being the big goal, are there specific places, the sub bucket list items of I'm getting to this place, that place, this place before I die, or before I'm unable to travel. Tokyo for sure is one mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that we're we're talking about planning, but I, I there's probably a long list that I haven't even totally like edited for reasonability here 
Um, but I'd really love to go to all the inhabited continents. I don't need to go to Antarctica, but all the other ones I'd really like to go to at least once. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite place that you've been? Sri Lanka. Incredible place. Okay, yeah, I do remember you talking about that trip. Yeah, incredible place, incredible people, incredible food, amazing vibe. I think you'd like it. I definitely uh, would like to to go to some some countries in that region. So I will add that to my list because I wasn't sure. I hadn't even looked at specifically. I kind of not even all the continents. I want to go to all the the regions, like the big cultural regions of the world, and kind of just experience as much as I could. If I could just like, you know, leave my job and, and travel around for a year, I would totally do it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How many continents have you been to thus far? Only two. So we're not, we're not far on that list. Which two? North America and? And Europe. And Europe. I've, I've also been to yeah. Asia and South America. Have, haven't been to Africa or Australia. Yeah, I... I um, have been to Spain, France, Italy, and England. Um, but I definitely want to expand that, like I said, more out. I just really think my favorite thing is getting to connect with locals. Like those memories that I have um, in on my trips are like the favorite, my favorite like parts of those trips. Like in New York, I made friends with a guy on the subway at like midnight that apparently worked on the music for soul. And I was like, wow, that's really awesome. And we did, we talked for like the, 20 minutes. The animated movie soul. Yes. Uh-huh. 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 And so that was just super, a super cool experience. When I went to France, uh, we went on a dinner cruise and we connected with, uh, these people that were from like Northern France and they were older, I would guess like seventies, eighties, and only a few of them could speak English. And so there was like a little bit of a language barrier, but we talked for about 30 minutes. And at the end of it, they were, you know, they gave us like the, the double kisses and the, the man was like, said to my husband, don't worry. It's not like that. Like he was never going to be like that, but he was the times that I really love traveling is like actually getting to, connect to people, you know? I love that. Are there particularly, and I know this is not a funny topic, but are there particularly inopportune moments where you've had your joints disconnect due to your um, joint syndrome? Yeah, well, so sometimes it's like stupid, like I'll be in a quiet place and my knee is out. So every time I step, it cracks and like, it's just awkward, but, uh, one time recently, I almost accidentally elbowed someone like right in the nose. Um, I didn't realize that there was a person behind right, that close behind me, and I was trying to put my shoulder back in. And I was like, "Okay, noted. I need to make sure I turn around and make sure there's not a person that I'm about to hit." But uh, you know, it, it happens. I, I would say, I mean, it happens like every day. To be honest with you, the weirdest thing that happened was I like turned my head and my neck. Um, my spine like went out of place and like hit oh, the nerves geez. inside of it. Ugh. And that was, that was wild. Cause it was just like a turn, a slight turn of my head. Um, that, that was a, 
an interesting experience. And I was like, oh, that's why my doctor said I should be careful on roller coasters. Got it. That sounds bad. And what are the qualities that make a really good caramel apple? So I'm kind of like a purist when it comes to that. I did not put all of the crazy things on the one that I took home. I'm just down for like the caramel and the apple. Like it does not need to be fancy. But we did make some that looked really cool that had like, you know, nuts and chocolate chips and all that kind of stuff. But if I was picking, like the one that I'm eating is just caramel. That's it. Keep it simple. Let's not overthink this. Yeah, that's one thing that I really miss about the Northeast is going to apple orchards in the fall. I always loved that uh, every year and something. Obviously, we're, we're not doing that down here. Yeah. Not like Boston, your ancestral home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Caller, our time is up on the free feed. I want to say thanks to everybody who's been listening on the free feed. We are any day now going to be setting up our new bonus content. So I'm going to ask you to stay on the line so we can generate some of said bonus content. But in the meantime, thanks for sharing not just your story, but like nine different stories. Uh, we're going to ask you five more questions about totally <laughs> random things, which is more than many other calls, just an extension of what's already been happening, honestly. All right. Sounds good. I'm, I'm ready. Caller, thank you so much for the call. Thanks for sending it in so many lovely directions. Thanks for being so open about the things you're going for, the things you are, the things people don't expect you to be, the multifaceted sides of yourself. It was such a fun conversation. And uh, enjoy Mardi Gras this year. 45-foot-long flamingo float. Please do. Thank you for calling. Thanks to everybody who calls. Thanks to our producer, the High Priestess of Beautiful Anonymous, Andrea Quinn. Our theme song is by the almighty Shell Shag. Go support Shell Shag on your streaming platforms. And go to chrisketh.com if you want to know more about me, including my upcoming tour dates. You can always leave a voicemail. If you feel like you've got a story and you want us to you want to get it on the show, but you know, you never see the call-in prompts or we don't do it at a time that works for you. And especially if you're like they do not have a voice like mine on the show. We want to hear from you. We want this to be a place where anything goes and everyone knows they're welcome. Pitch the story at 973-306-4676. That's our voicemail number, 973-306-4676. Don't forget, we also have an Instagram now. It's at BeautifulAnonymousPod. If you're someone who's not feeling Twitter, I get it. We also post the call-in prompts on our Facebook group and the Instagram, BeautifulAnonymousPod. Thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah.